from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. And we return to Our American Stories. And up next, a story from Carl Morlantis. Carl is the author of the award-winning books Matterhorn and What It Is Like to Go to War. Carl is also a Vietnam War veteran and the recipient of the Navy Cross, our nation's second highest award for valor. But in 1967, Carl was far removed from the chaos of battle. In a position of privilege, here's Carl to tell the story of why he chose to join the Marines and why he later chose to go to Vietnam. It was a series called Landmark Books, and I can't remember who put it out, one of the big publishers, and it was like the story of Betsy Ross and the American flag, the story of Thomas Jefferson, and the, you know, all those sorts of things that were like written for like about, you know, 10 year olds or 12 year olds. And I remember reading one called The Story of the U.S. Marines, and that just fascinated me, you know. But more importantly, it was this thing, I mean, like the guys on the football team, the good athletes, the good runners, when they left high school, they would go down to some mysterious place called San Diego, MCRD, Marine Corps Recruiting Depot, and uh, they'd come back, first of all, with suntans, which we never saw <laughs> where we lived. And they would, I, I swear to God, they looked like they were four inches broader in the shoulder and two inches taller. And they would literally swagger up and down the main street of our little town, Seaside, Oregon, which was a logging town, a little town of about 2,500 people. And I'm 15, 16 years old, and I'm just thinking to myself, I don't know what that is, but I want some of that. So I went to the Marine recruiter, and uh, you know, I'm talking to the Marine recruiter, I'm 18, and, and uh, I ask, I say to him, I said, you know, I, I've read, you know, books about the Marines, and I, I've seen John Wayne, the Sands of Iwo Jima, and I know what the Marines do. They land on beaches and all that sort of stuff. But I said, do they do anything else? And he looks at me, he says, oh, yeah. He says, we guard all the embassies all over the world. I went, really? You mean like in Paris? And he said, absolutely. 
And I can swear to God, this is what went through my mind. I went, well, the odds are you won't get Paris, but you'll surely get Madrid or Rome. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> so, so it's a combination of, of those things. And then there was the draft. It was patriotism. I mean, I grew up in a time when virtually everybody's dad and uncle was in what they called the service. We don't call it that anymore. We call it the military today. And I think that that's an enormously important change in our language. Now that was when your dad was in the service. That was when your uncle was in the service. And there was that sense of, you know, the draft was like the income tax. No one likes to pay their taxes. Nobody wanted to get drafted, but you sort of felt like you owed your country. You know, it's like, you know, the country won't operate unless you pay your taxes. We don't, you know, the roads don't get fixed unless you pay your taxes. The country isn't safe unless you, when they draft you, you go and do your bit. That was the feeling at that time. And uh, that was the late 1950s, early 1960s. So there was that, and there was the fact that, uh, you know, I wonder if I can do it. It's sort of a young man, you know, challenge. Can I make it? So I joined when I was 18 in a program called PLC, Platoon Leaders Class. It was a classic Marine Corps program. It was like they didn't give you any money. You joined as, a, as an enlisted in the reserves, and you went off to Quantico in the summertime. And if you survived, what well, was just the same as boot camp, then you got to go to college but they didn't pay you, and you just went back in the summer again. And at the end of that, you got a commission if you graduated from college. I uh, went to Oxford uh, on a scholarship in uh, 1967. I thought that that would be you know, something the Marines wouldn't let me do because the Marines were really short of junior officers. And uh, they were great. They said, go ahead, it's a great honor. I, I got a Rhodes. And, uh, after about six or eight weeks over there, having a wonderful time. I just felt guilty because this little high school I grew up in, six boys died and uh, about 70 served in, in the Vietnam War. And the high school was about, you know, 400 kids, so 200 boys. I mean, it was uh, pretty amazing. And I, I just felt guilty. I wasn't pulling my oar. I wasn't contributing like they were. They were putting themselves out there and I was hiding back. And uh, I was always raised never to do that. I mean, that's just something that you don't do. You know, if, if your friends are, are risking themselves then you go out there with, with them. And I was choosing not to do that. I was letting them take the risk and I, was, and I felt like I used the word, I was hiding behind the privilege. Most of the guys I went to high school with, they, they didn't even go to college. And that's why such a large percentage of them served in Vietnam, because in those days the draft was very unfair. You could get out of service if you, you know, got a doctor to say that you had a bad knee, or if you, you know, you could say that you were gay, or you could say, you know, any number of things. And the other one was the legitimate one, which is for a long time called the 2S deferment. If you were in college, they wouldn't draft you, which is horribly skewed toward the wealthier part of the country. But it didn't make sense to me. I mean, it was a war that was just not making sense. That just was looking, you know, what's the word, problematical, unethical. I mean, we were getting into, you know, trying to measure the war by how many people we killed. 
That's not a moral situation. Killing people in the military is a consequence of trying to get something else done. That's the objective, and if people get killed on the way, that, that, that is warfare. But, but an objective of just killing people is, in my opinion, immoral. And we, had no, we didn't have an objective uh, other than, you know, well, save the South Vietnamese government. But that was looking a little dicey because that was, it was clearly a corrupt government. On the other hand, I mean, I could see that the North was a totalitarian government. That didn't look good. It was just a mess, and it was a moral, moral mess. And so, you know, you'd say, well, then you shouldn't go. But I had sworn an oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States. And I took my oath seriously. I mean, I, I swore to God that I would uphold the Constitution of the United States. And the Constitution of the United States says that the President of the United States is the Commander-in-Chief of the military. Civilian control of the military is absolutely essential. And if the military decides that it doesn't want to do what the civilians ask it to do, you got a banana republic. And so you can't have a military where individual people say, eh, I don't think I'm gonna, eh, nah, I don't agree with the president. To uphold the Constitution of the United States, you either have to you know, resign or do what you're told. But now all of a sudden we're fighting a war, which, you know, the civilians in control decided to put us into. Well, now I've got two moral issues, both of which I agree with, which is that the war is wrong, but I'm already in the military, and I, I swore an oath to do what the Constitution had set up. That was my moral dilemma, and I was very acutely conscious of it. My girlfriend at the time said she'd go to Sweden with me, she didn't want to go to Algeria. Algeria was taking deserters, and, and I wouldn't have been a draft dodger, I'd have been a deserter. That's a one step above that. So I have to admit that that's a little bit scary too. So I, you know, that, that, that would have hindered me a bit. My friend uh, was just deciding to turn in his draft card as a protest. And we spent this really long night just, like I, I tell people, I said, I have the feeling that, that we were sort of hovering over a single candle. I know that's not true, but the feeling of it was the two of us, just the two of us in a single light in this dark room, us trying to decide what to do. We're, we're 23 years old or, no, I was, I was 22 then, I think. And we're trying to decide what, what to do in a, a terrible dilemma. And believe me, a Rhodes Scholarship, there's nothing that you throw away. We didn't throw them away, we gave them up with a great deal of reluctance. But we made the decision that I'd send my letter into the Marine Corps and I'd go to Vietnam and he, he turned his draft card in and got out of England and got to Canada. So he took off, I think, a couple days after that decision. And I was, you know, Marine, was, was back in America in the Marine Corps and on active duty. I admire him greatly. Everybody else just sort of hid behind the privilege. A lot of people ask me, how do you feel about the guys that went to Canada? I'm going like, they at least acted, most of them with honor. So I, I think that the issue was being true to your, to your moral position, but it wasn't easy. Uh, and I think, you know, people would like to think that those kinds of decisions are easy. I just felt ultimately I just couldn't stay there hiding and, and look myself in the mirror.
and a terrific job on the production by Monty Montgomery. And a special thanks to Carl Merlantes for sharing this remarkable story, service versus the military, the difference between the two, honoring your moral code, and how two young men took very different positions. And in the end, well, Carl had respect for both of them. Carl's story, here on Our American Stories. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.